Welcome to the Jew and Gentile podcast. I am your host, Chris Katolka, and with me is none other than the Jewish sage himself, the one and only Mr. Steve Herzig. How are you, sir? I don't know how much a sage I am. Look at your side of the desk. It's nice. <laughs> it's orderly. You know what you're doing. Look at my side of the desk. I don't know. What is well, going on here? I've shoved all my stuff to your side no, of the I, desk. No, it's my stuff. I brought all this. It's, it never ends. My mind is cluttered. My desk is cluttered. I have no clear thinking. Well, never had. Listen, hold on a second, everybody. Here we go. Welcome in, welcome in. You're not cl- I mean, Look at you're- this place. I know, I it's know. It's Michigas here. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Can I just say something really quick? Uh, I was watching the news last night, and they had the panel on. I think it was the Brett Bear show or something like that. And I don't know. It was an NPR. They had a lady on from NPR, and they were talking about all the stuff that was going on with um, Ron DeSantis uh, coming into the race now. And some of the stuff that was going on with Twitter. Twitter apparently had a they meltdown. Had, they had difficulty. Yeah, they had a meltdown last night, which which DeSantis spun in a positive way. Hey, we melted the system down and we broke Twitter. That's a positive thing because uh, we had so many people come on. But anyway, the ladies that's do, that from NPR that was doing the commentary on it, she goes, I'll tell you this right now, that was a lot of Michigas. <laughs> and she said Michigas once and everybody laughed on the show. Everyone laughed. And then once she said Michigas, all of a sudden Brett Bear was saying Michigas. Another, she goes, they all just had a laugh. So anyway. There's something about Yiddish. It just gets the body rolling. It gets it going. Hey, uh, do you do you think our listeners know by now? We have a text messaging number that people can reach us on. Wait, Steve. wait. Let's see if I can remember four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. You nailed it. Four two four 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 nineteen forty eight. Steve, I wanted to read some. We of- actually had somebody. Text us? Oh, we got, let's see, one. What did we, hopefully we got, we got seven. One, one from each of our listeners. We got, we got more than seven, but we might have some a people that wrote us back. Twice. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they felt bad for us. <laughs> uh, I'll, t- I'll read some of them. This comes from area code 804. Uh, just uh, someone who said, they wrote to me, this was their first thing they texted to us. Oi. <laughs> Two little letters. That's right. I'm a faithful Jew and Gentile podcast listener. Does this increase the number to the listeners of nine? Thank you, 804. Hey, our good friend, um, Neil, Pastor Neil, Pastor Neil Tom. Pastor Neil, one of our seven. It's, he, well, he wrote, I listen while running through the woods. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> he, he listened, he to, maybe his is the opposite of the couple that goes to sleep. That's right. <laughs> or the guy he, in the shower. He, he, well, the guy in the shower's in heaven. That's true. All right. But the people, they put it on at night before they go to sleep. Talk about Michigan. That, that's that's, that's true. crazy. Well, Pastor Neil, thanks for it. Hey, and can I say something really quick about Pastor Neil? He just won an award for best docu- Christian documentary uh, in a certain category. Um, but uh, How we, do we get that documentary? It's actually free. We have mentioned it on the podcast before. And I'll have to bring it up. And we need to have Pastor Neil on. But he rode. He's a cyclist. He rode his bike, Steve. Oh, do you remember that's that? that's right. Now I re- Yes, I do. From San Diego all the way to Annapolis. He rode. It's like 30 days. He rode across the country on his bike. And, and wh- talking to people. He was uh, just random people talking to them. 100%. And he had a chance to, you know, share his faith and hear what other people believed. 
And so um, uh, we have to have him on to talk about we it. We but, have to do but that. But he won an award for best documentary. And in in, in, I forget. You'll have to forgive me, Pastor Neil, for, uh, for best doctor- documentary while running around. That's right. <laughs> while riding a bike. <laughs> no, that's great. We, we got to have Pastor Neil on. Uh, 518 writes this. Been listening while I drive or mow the lawn since Chris spoke at Word of Life last summer. Aha. Uh-huh. Never miss a week. Thank you so much, 518. 318 writes, hey, guys, proud to be your number. Number eight is a part of the listeners trying to be optimistic. Listening down here on in uh, central Louisiana, love the podcast and the humor. You guys helped me to come to a greater understanding and view of the Bible. Wow, boy! Oh, that's he, coming from three one eight. Hey, three one eight. Thank you so that's much. That's like wow. That uh, does that give us uh, a little help at the uh, throne of God <laughs> at, at the Bema seat? Hey, we had one guy. We got. He, th- from Louisiana. We helped him. That's right. We helped him out, God. Hey, no, but thank you so much. It's very nice of you to say that. Uh, 267. Actually, you know this one. He says, what would my Uncle Steve like for his 70th uh, Johnny birthday? Johnny McCauley. That's great to hear Johnny McCauley texting us in. Hey, I can't believe Johnny. I can't believe you're listening. That's I. We love we love Johnny McCauley. Uh, and uh, Ed, your seventieth birthday is right around the corner. My seventieth birthday. Okay. Yeah. Well, I wrote an article for IMG when I was sixty nine, uh, which I am right at this moment. But writing, uh, I forgot which issue it is. It's about three back from from now. Approaching my three score and ten. We'll have to read that when um, we'll have to we'll read, read that article. Next week. Yeah, that went for your birthday. Yeah. Oh yeah, for, it's your birth, your seventieth birthday. We've got to have a big blowout, a bash on <laughs> please, the podcast. Please, I don't need the service. <laughs> oh, it's not gonna. It's all gonna be fun. Hey, listen, nine oh eight area code nine oh eight writes. Hi, happy Sunday. God bless you. I love your podcast. I heard about you on Prophecy Today. I'm learning about your podcast. Have a beautiful day. That's Jimmy Mr. DeYoung, Jimmy DeYoung Jr. hundred percent. We got to give a uh, big thumbs up to Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And uh, Steve, I know you've had a long relationship with Jimmy DeYoung. And the family. His father, yep. And, and you would Jim, often go on the radio as program. Well, and it's great to see that Jimmy is trying to keep the ministry going. Uh, it's a, it's really important. He brings up key cultural events that are happening today as well as prophecy. That's right. Uh, we have a friend li- listening from Dallas, which is great, 214. Oh, your former hometown. That's right. Actually, they go to Northwest, which is Pastor Neil's church. Uh, so that's fantastic. I like this one, Steve, because if you remember last week, we had mentioned um, if you feel like you're saying oi more as a listener of the podcast, let us know. And 804, area code 804, texted in and said, Howdy, I'm a weekly Gentile listener of the show. To my surprise, I caught myself saying, Ay, 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 three <laughs> times in the past 24 hours. I've never noticed that before. Keep up the great work. And Unbelievable I... <laughs> that we have people 424-444-1948 because we think of Israel. That's right. Hey, listen. 424-444-1948. You don't just have to write in and say that you enjoy the podcast. We love that, too. But uh, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, uh, I'll direct the concerns to Steve. But if you've got questions or whatever, we want to answer those. If you have some news that you've come across in Israel or related to Jewish culture and customs, send it our way. Text it to us. We'd love to see that, and we'd love to highlight you. Steve, I have more texts. We can look at them later, but we love our fans. We love our listeners. Text away, 424 424- 444-1948. Well, I want you to say who is sponsoring this uh, podcast. And after you do, talk about the current class that you're just winding up. We're recording this on Thursday and Thursday night. You will be doing the third one. And he's the one that has brought Hebrew 
back to Israel, which is an amazing thing. He has a number of streets uh, that are he's named after. And then after you do that, I'd like to talk about, Chris, this was an article uh, or an article in Moment magazine. Is there a life after death, Jewish thinking on afterlife? So first, why don't you tell us about who's sponsoring the Jew and the Gentile podcast. 100% Jew and Gentile podcast is sponsored by FOI Equip. It's your opportunity to learn the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And tonight I'll actually be wrapping up a series that we did on Israel's independence and its leaders. We looked at uh, Theodore Herzl. Uh, we right over there. Yep, right behind me. There he is, Theodore Herzl. Hello, sir. And then we have David Ben-Gurion. Who's right behind your head. That's right. And you can't really see him. I wonder if we pan to another shot really quick. Maybe if you could see. Uh, you could cut. Yeah, there we go. If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, you can see David Ben-Gurion standing there on his uh, on his head right there. But uh, which is a good one. And, and Steve's got a no, he's a yeah, there's our guy right there. Exactly. And so why don't you hold him up and show him over there. And there that's he is. Our, tonight. Tonight, we're going to be talking about In living color. There's there's a profile. <laughs> look at that beard. He's got a In fact. Look at that coat. That looks like something you'd like to wear. Oh, I'd love to wear the stylish. Very 100%. stylish. I've never been accused of that, but you have, and rightly so. Well, I, you know what I admire about these men that were coming over from Eastern Europe is you think you'd shed the jacket, you'd shed all the, like, wool, but when they get to Israel, they're still wearing wool suits walking around Tel Aviv. I no mean, wonder we're hunched over <laughs> all the time. So anyway, uh, we're going to be looking at Eliezer Ben Yehuda, who played a massive cultural role in the development of the state of Israel through the uh, through the resurrection of the Hebrew language. Oh, so an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So anyway, that's tonight. Eliezer Ben Yehuda, foiequip.org. If you'd like to register and see that starts 730 uh, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, foiequip.org to register. Steve, what you know, do you got? there's a lot of diversity within Judaism amongst the Jewish people as it relates to life after death. I was raised in an Orthodox background, which we believed in resurrection. We believe the resurrection would take place when Messiah comes, uh, and we look forward to that time. But there's not consensus amongst Jewish people. And Moment Magazine went to scholars, and these are scholars. The one that I'm going to read is Amy Gillivine, who's a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies at Vanderbilt. She's you know, very influential. Very yep. influential number. Christian scholars read her. I. I'm no Christian scholar, and I've read a couple of her books. But You're up there, though. You're the sage. Up up there, it does not define me. However, here's what she wrote, which I find very interesting. Jewish beliefs, she says, in the afterlife are as diverse as Judaism itself. From the traditional view, expecting the unity of the flesh and spirit in a resurrected body, to the idea that we live in our children and grandchildren to a sense of heaven— Perhaps with locks and bagels rather than harps and halos. I like that. Hey, that's how you came to faith. That's right. Belief in the afterlife typically correlates with our theology. If we believe in a just and compassionate living God, faithful to the promises made to Israel, we may well also believe in resurrection in the Messianic age, when justice and compassion will prevail over sin, evil, and death. Perhaps what, perhaps what sparks belief today is less traditional teaching than personal experience. Boy, Chris, is more and more people, including scholars, are moving towards personal experience rather than what might be biblical, biblical truth. Right. But somehow wraps itself back around to some form form of biblical truth. It's, it's interesting. I was by my mother's bedside, she said, in the local hospital— 
Uh, she was 80 and her body was failing. Late in the evening, she woke from her sleep, opened her eyes and asked me, what will happen to me when I die? What a great question. Mm -hmm. I immediately answered, you'll see daddy. My father had died decades earlier. She replied, I look like hell. Well, mom, you've looked better. But when you see daddy, you'll look as beautiful as you look the day you got married. Mm. How do you know this? She asked. <laughs> oh, typical. This is a great answer. I could see this. It's like this out of the Talmud. In, it's like in, out of the Talmud. In my family, I could see this. Yeah. Mom, I've got a PhD in religion. I know things. <laughs> I love that. She smiled. I began to cry. My husband took, uh, took my place by my mother's bedside and held her hand as she died. Afterward, my husband looked at me and said something to the effect of, I've never heard you say anything like that before. You don't believe in an afterlife. But when I was talking to my mom, I believed every word. Mm. It's so confusing and so emotional. Uh, she loved her mom and uh, was willing to say anything in order to bring her comfort and help. I Believe me, I understand that. But is such a deep, what's going to happen when I die? And so her daughter, in essence, was saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But whatever she said, whatever. As a New Testament scholar as well at Vanderbilt I, University. Exactly. I, look, look, I understand. I, that's such, that is packed with so much emotion. And for people who might be listening, any of our seven, uh, maybe you have a father or mother or loved one who passed away. And there are things you say during that time to bring comfort. I just found it interesting that in a they ask a very important question. This this is the question. There's no second chances mm -hmm. uh, here, unless of course you're Jewish and believe in reincarnation, <laughs> and there's some who do. But in in that sense, uh, I thought this answer. It's it, it. I can't think of the word that would describe it. Poignant, I think, might be the word. And it's you know we live in a culture today. We could call it a postmodern culture where you're personal feelings are greater than, you know, truth. And you and I believe the truth comes from the scriptures. Uh, we believe, you know, God's opinion is over our opinion. But, you know, when you don't believe that, all of a sudden when you are faced with your mortality and you're watching loved ones pass away, all of a sudden all the logic that you placed in your mind to shove the the Bible or God into the corners of the recesses of your mind now all of a sudden become prominent because of hope, because you realize something, I'm never going to, you know, if I believe what, if I believe in what I believe about God and it's nothing and we all just die, well, then this is the last moment I have with my mother forever. Or, you know, mom, you're going to go off and close your eyes and boom, you know, you're, you're, you're never going to, that's it. You're over, you're done. Um, and then all of a sudden your opinion changes in those moments and they kind of almost begin to sound more biblical than, because why it's actually, I actually think it's ingrained in us. It's part of the image of God, Steve, that remains on even in our postmodern world. It's, it's, it's interesting. We're going to read uh, that article has a number of different scholars and we're going to read from time to time. We'll take one just like this. I found that just uh, frustrating, loving, uh, not true, all kinds of different emotions came by me, and I, I'm really glad they printed it, and I'm really glad she shared that story. That was a great story. Uh, Steve, You, it's Shavuot. Uh, 
On the 25th, the evening of the 25th is Shavuot. Can I just say, um, and today is the 25th. And we did. Uh, you were surprised you, today was the 25th. We were tw- talking. 50 days go so <laughs> fast from Passover. How could it be all of a sudden? I, I'm not ready for dairy. I'm lactose intolerant. I'm going to have issues. There are a lot of Jewish people. All of a sudden, oh, yeah, I got to eat dairy? This is going to kill me. Yeah, well, they, And also, maybe for some of our people who don't know what Shavuot is, that's the Hebrew... For weeks, that's the word that means weeks, but that's also connected to Pentecost. Pentecost, Acts Book chapter of Acts. two, that's Acts right. chapter two. So once I found out, by the way, I found out from my wife, the Gentile, the Shiksa, <laughs> the sh- uh, <laughs> that we talked about last week, and she's the Shiksa is telling me because she's much more knowledgeable and aware of things than I am. Hey, do you know Shavuot's coming? No. Yeah. It is, well, <laughs> sure enough, it is. Once She's again, a righteous Gentile. R- once again, I fall short of being right. A hundred percent. So who do we turn to, Chris, when we're looking at any kind of holiday, any kind of Jewish thing? Who do we turn we to? We go to Emily Stone and Did You Know. Did You Know. <laughs> I'm just taking a few lines from her Shavuot, which she titles Jewish Cheesecake festival <laughs> already i'm hungry i want that cheesecake with a little cherry top you know do you like yours with whipped cream or cherries or do you have a pr- preference oh for i never pr- thought or about plain it. or plain i usually do plain but if they throw a oh, if they throw whipped cream on there whipped I, would, cream I will never is turn good, it away but then you can have berries like a raspberries on top or ch- uh, anyway oh yeah i don't want to keep talking well about i get it. the peanut butter cheesecake oh, yeah, it's so good peanut butter cheese i never even heard of that they, i've had it it's fantastic okay well The artery-clogging dairy fest that is Shavuot finds its origin in a number of rabbinic sources. By the way, also in the Bible. (laughs) Just a little reminder. At that point in the history of Jewish gastronomy, kosher hadn't been invented yet. Neither had lactose intolerance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Since the Torah had just been received, this new system was far from second nature. This is why the Jews chose to eat dairy by default. They didn't have proper kosher pots for eating fleshic, and so were limited to blintzes, cheesecake, cheese ravioli, and cheese kreplach. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, now I'm really hungry. She writes more, but we'll leave that at that paragraph. Where did the cheesecake come? I mean, like, I understand Ruth from the Book of Ruth, which is the book we read at Shavuot. What does uh, she have to do with cheese and the cake and... She had to do with uh, the gleaning that she had, and I think the cows ate it. They give milk, and bada-boom, bada-bing, you got Oh, that is some deep—maybe that's the rabbinical component of it. I don't know, but all I know is Shavuot, lactose intolerant. Oh, that is fantastic. Okay, well, I didn't know that cheesecake was involved in that process. Any kind of dairy. Any kind of dairy. Which you are saying is a little nerve-wracking for you since you're you're not really on dairy anymore. I'm on oat milk. Yeah, you're oat milk. Oat milk is good. It's really, (laughs) it's nice and creamy. Well, don't get me started. Well, I mean, oat milk, if she's out there, uh, you know, if she's out there, Ruth is uh, gleaning. Gleaning, that's right. You don't need cows anymore. That's you could just go right, right from the source. That's okay? right. That's All right, right, Steve. Well, we're looking at Revelation chapter 17. We're continuing we our study. We are. We are. I am so excited for Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, I want to get there, my friend. I want to get there. So why don't we continue this study? Why don't you read the text? You know, we actually covered part of 17 last week. Yep. We're actually, I think you should start uh, the Mystery Babylon, starting in verse 5 
I know we technically covered that. We're starting in verse 7, but back up a couple verses and go from there. Yep, uh, it says, The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, and the abominations of the earth. I saw that woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten hordes. And so do you want to stop there and mention, because you had talked about the idea of being astonished before. Do you want me to keep reading or do you want to? Yeah, keep reading and we, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll comment okay, about good. that. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast who once was, now is not. An eighth king, he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. You know, Chris, when we get to verse 7 and it talks about being astonished or surprised, uh, marvel is the translation. Here we are in the middle of the tribulation period, and the angel is asking, why are you astonished? Chris, we've been doing podcasts not quite two years now, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, at least for me, you might agree or not, at least for me, some of the things we cover culturally, I'm astonished. I marvel. I'm, I, it's, we use the word unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And to me, it, when I read this part, for, and I've read it before, but it, I never connected it to now. Chris, if we read the Bible— and we are are in the text. Should we be surprised when sinful man sins? No, that's the thing. But we are. I know. And here in the context here, why are you surprised? Well, you know, I, I think we have mentioned this before, but sometimes you can almost <laughs> feel like we're trying to save we're trying to, as Christians, we're, we're investing a lot of energy in trying to save what Re Revelation chapter 17 is all about. We're, tr we're trying to correct the course of Revelation 17. If I, and I believe this, and I know other people have difference of, differences of opinion on what Babylon is, but I believe Babylon is the world system. And sometimes I, and clearly the whole point of Revelation 17 and 18 is that the world system is crumbling as we give, as it gives way to Jesus returning. But sometimes, you know, we, I feel like all we're trying to do is put lipstick on a pig here because it's all going to fall apart. And yet here we are investing so much in the world and not in the, in the lives of individuals to win them over to the Lord. So who, who do you think, this is a question I have, who do you think of the early Christians, Paul, uh, uh, John wrote this, uh, the revelation of Christ, it's Christ's revelation. That's how we started. But John is the writer. And he's going to send this out to the people who are in a particular period of time, just at the end, sometime where around 95 AD. When early Christians read this, who do you think they thought Babylon was? It was for them Rome. Nope. No question about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet Rome has come and gone. 
Now, I understand— And we know that Jewish people were doing that, too, because when you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were interpreting passages of the Old Testament in light of the current circumstances they were living in. So, And we do the same thing. Yeah, 100%. We do the same thing. I can tell you, with when it came to Ezekiel 38 and 39, when I first get, got saved uh, in the 70s, they were saying it was communism. Communism would do it. Then later on, Islam took over. Now it— and they looked at the geography, which is what the text emphasizes. Right. But what did we do? We take the geography and what the people living in that geography believe, and it could change. It could change. But the text doesn't change. So either way, the mystery, even that uh, Greek word mystery, you know, it could mean uh, properly if you exegete it. But the word mystery could mean a select few know or God's hiding it, Mm -hmm. and then it's to be revealed. revealed. Right. So you could follow the text and still have all kinds of questions, which makes revelation—I think that's part of the blessing back in chapter 1, where you're interacting with the text. You start off by saying, oh, Babylon, I personally believe it's the world system. We know other people—there's godly men, women, who believe Babylon's going to be Babylon. Yeah, 100%. Uh, but what's the point? <laughs> what? Okay, it is Babylon. Okay, it is the world system. What is what is John telling us here in chapter seventeen? It, right, the one I just what I just read. Yeah, that in that he's astonished. Is that what you're saying? No, the whole context of that particular. I know there weren't chapters. Oh, oh. To it's, me, it's that the world, the people are chasing after the world. Uh, the world is, uh, the, you know, the Antichrist is making people drunk. On the lure of what the world can offer, the lust of the flesh, and then the pride he of kills life. Them. And That's he's right. gonna—it's it, bad news. <laughs> Chapter seventeen. Okay, it's Rome. Okay, it's really Babylon. I—I I think it's important to talk about it. But the bottom line is, this system, this city, the everything that people are investing in, uh, the riches of the world. Remember, she's decorated with all the beauty fine precious stones and it's bad news chris yep. it's bad news well and again i think we mentioned this before but you know when even when you it, when you compare uh in daniel when it talks about the the statue the that nebuchadnezzar built and it has uh or that uh, the vision of nebuchadnezzar and it has all the layers of uh of gentile kingdoms you know it has babylon it has medio persia it has greece and rome and then a revised Roman Empire, and it has—it's interesting because Daniel never uh, goes into detail about the the qualities of those empires. It's only one thing. They are Gentile empires, and they will all come to an end when the, when the rock cut from—not from human hands comes and destroys those kingdoms once and for all. But it's not like they go, oh, this kingdom was like this, and this kingdom was a little better here. In God's eyes, they all were the same thing. They were Gentile kingdoms in against or pagan kingdoms or the world system in in contrast to God's kingdom that would come. And I think it's a great reminder. You know, we were joking before about Mishigas. You you were watching a show on Fox and NPR gal said Mishigas, and it was about DeSantis. Now, we're not a political—this isn't a political program. What I'm telling you, am I—if you're asking, am I interested in the United States elections— very always have I I've followed politics sometimes to my chagrin sometimes wasting time 
So, oh, election night for me is like Super Bowl. I get my Cheetos. I have like everything set up. I'm I'm a sucker for it too. So, so let's just say, looking at it from God's perspective, as He gives the revelation to John to record, in the end, it doesn't matter. It matter. It matters now. I I want to do my civil duty. My father, he, well, my father was a World War II vet. It was ingrained in me. The worst thing you could do as an American citizen is not vote. 100%. It made him so, oh, he got angry. He, I don't care. I remember, I don't care how you vote. If you walk by a voting place and don't vote, that means you don't care. You don't care about people invested their life for you in order to choose our own representatives. So I vote every election, every one. It's very important. I want to know who's running and all that. But the bottom line, the bottom line from Revelation is this world's coming to an end. The seven kings. Chris, you have the Daniel's uh, uh, statue, but you also had Egypt and Assyria before that. Mm -hmm. Many interpreters interpret them to be these kingdoms, and there's going to be one other one. We talk about the number of perfection. We talk about that. In fact, you talk about progress. Over time, it's been organic. We knew we had seven people, and we joke about it. We have people write in. Who listen. 424-444-1948 and say, I'm your eighth. Seven. Seven is uh, the the number of perfection, and the eighth is coming. And it's the sense of completion. God is going to take all of it, mm-hmm. including the United States, including us, all of it, and it's gonna it's gonna be taken away. Ultimately, Jesus Christ will reign and rule. We'll have a thousand year kingdom. Things will be done right. Thank God. We'll finally have somebody who's there. Who you? <laughs> will there be people complain? Oh, there will. I guarantee you, there'll be people complain. It's funny because you never, we don't ever talk about, you know, we read Revelation and, you know, everything is looking up and up. But, you know, it's funny to hear you say, because there will be people. There'll be unsafe people. That's right. They're, they're going to uh, not this guy like think, perfection. That's right. Who do this guy think he is? He's <laughs> and they're going to do it on the side. They're going to do it under their breath because we know that there's going to be people when Satan is unchained, there's going to be people who go with him. It's it's amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, is this guy think he's got a, they're going to say, what does he have, a Messiah complex? <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> they won't be satisfied with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's the way the human heart is. It's it's so interesting to me. And yes, things are Michigas. I agree with that lady. <laughs> well, I want to read this really quick from a, uh, from a commentary because uh, this raises uh, some questions when it talks about that uh, the angel informed John that the beast's heads are on seven hills on which the woman sits. Many ancient writers, such as Victorinus, who wrote of the first commentaries on the book of Revelation, uh, identified the seven hills as Rome, like what we were talking about. Others described the city of the seven hills. Uh, uh, this identification has led to the conclusion that this passage teaches that Rome will be the capital of the coming world empire. Originally, Rome included seven small mountains along the Tiber River, and the hills were given the name Palantina, Aventine, Cilicia, Equiline, and he goes on and on. You can you can read that in the, in the commentary. Capitolina, Quirinal, and so forth and so on. Later, however, the city expanded to include 
uh, another hill and and it was to the north while rome is often referred to as having seven hills or mountains different writers do not necessarily name the same seven mountains so again it creates confusion it sounds like they're trying to identify a location by giving us some geography to it but uh but the more important picture uh is that there are seven kings like what you're mentioning and these people who are ruling throughout history um that are present there so anyway, it's interesting because it's giving us the picture that the systems are collapsing on themselves. And that's a great reminder for us. I just think it's a great reminder. I I always have hope. I'm an optimistic person. I'm a pessimistic op- optimist as it relates to my eschatology. It's going to get worse because it's going to get better. I like you're a pessimistic optimist. optimist. That's the way I've always as a believer. I've always been a pessimistic optimist. <laughs> Always, always. It's going to get worse. I know it's going to get worse. Uh, But when it gets worse, it won't be so bad uh, where God won't fix it. And Mm -hmm. it's going to, we got the promise of him fixing it. A hundred percent. Oh, all right. Well, Steve, we're going to pick up with this again because we've got a... Chris, you know what happened, don't you? We we have to tell our listeners, this is not our full-time thing. Oh. We had a plan. We did have a plan, just we, telling you. That's Normally, right. we run about an hour, but... And we were supposed Maybe to... Maybe people will be glad that may, it's not an hour. This is probably the best one we'll do for a lot of people. Finally, these people are off the <laughs> They're going to see the time on there and go, oh, I can, I can invest in that. But we were planning on starting at a certain time, and I was called in... Uh, by the president of the organization, Jim Showers, and I was unscheduled. And so we were 15 minutes behind, and then we had to get things together. Look at my desk here. I, we threw all <laughs> kinds of stuff on here. So we have to finish Chapter 17 a little sooner. So we're going to come back next week and finish Chapter 17. Steve, I want to turn to the news now because I found this on Times of Israel, and I thought it was very interesting. Um, And uh, it says this, that out of Israel, as demand for Orthodox Jewish conversion soars, the number of successful cases dip. The 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 government's protracted process is not appealing to most of the half a million Israelis who are not recognized as Jewish by the rabbinate. So it's an interesting subject here because what it's showing is that more and more people want to convert to Orthodox Judaism. That's what it's showing. But the systems set in place to help that process happen are actually making less people become, (laughs) you know, it's funny because in our, in the church, if somebody places their faith in the Lord Jesus, this isn't, this isn't a, a, how can I put this? We don't put you into like a rigorous system that, you know, will eventually weed weed out the, pro- you know, how can I put this? I, there, there is, there. it's important to have a, to place your faith in the Lord Jesus. But what I'm saying is it's not like you're going through the the rabbinate in the... You do not have to go through hoops to trust Christ. A hundred percent. After you receive Christ, we want to, Christians want to teach you, want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Judaism, yeah. especially Orthodox Judaism, ah, you're inter- you got to do this, 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 and this. That's the way it is. And it says this, the number of completed Orthodox conversions to Judaism in Israel decreased by 5% last year. You'd think they want more and more. <laughs> nope. Slow down, buddy. Slow down. Over the uh, previous years, despite an increase in applications for the process, this data presented in the annual report on conversions uh, by a nonprofit organization, a team, underlines multiple longstanding issues involving Orthodox conversions whose availability impacts the lives of hundreds of thousands of Israelis, including many immigrants from the former Soviet Union and their descendants, which is interesting because most 
I, I, if I remember, if I remember correctly, most uh, Jewish people from the Soviet Union are pretty secular people. Very. Yep. And now, can they you wanna... imagine? I got rejected by the Orthodox. <laughs> they just rejected me. That's it. I'm done. Well, that's how, that's what I was trying to say. Is could you imagine in the church that there is a line of people that are saying, "I want to believe in Jesus." Okay. Sorry. Fill out an application. <laughs> And you got to go wait in this line over there. Maybe we'll get to you this year. Okay. It's just, that's what I love about the church. It's not about filling out an application. It's about come simple, as you are, come as you are. And the Lord will forgive you when you repent and turn to him. Well, Chris, I'm going from something kind of serious, Orthodox Judaism and, and, and converting to that. That's serious. American couple caught at Tel Aviv airport, trying to smuggle hundreds of pounds of fruit roll-ups <laughs> into Israel. <laughs> This the headline. What, what? is mean, hilarious? So listen, why did why did this person fill two check bags with fruit roll-ups? Well, it has something to do with ice cream, the man's voice says. The man was almost certainly referring to a viral TikTok trend ongoing since at least March, in which users users of the video social network wrapped a sweet, sticky roll-up around a small scoop of ice cream which then freezes over and becomes hard and crunchy. We've also fallen into this trend, says one Israeli on TikTok video from late, late March. Israelis routinely ask travelers, oh, this happens all the time. 100%. We, have, we know people in Israel. We bring stuff to them from the United <laughs> States to bring back goods that either cost more in Israel, such as electronic devices, or are hard to find in Israel. Uh, such as Entenmann's Donuts, for example. That's a big one, Entenmann's Donuts. But in attempting to import fruit roll-ups to Israel, the American couples were tapping into the real estate market shortage. Around the country, supermarkets, convenience stores, and online retailers have reportedly sold out of fruit roll-ups, driving up the cost of the snack. According to Israeli press reports, Enterprising merchants are selling individually wrapped fruit roll-ups for $6 each. Good night. In comparison, a box of 10 fruit roll-ups in the United States costs less than three. <laughs> They're making money on fruit roll-ups. Plus, it's made with corn syrup, Chris. They're not even fruit. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, uh, like you said, when, when when I would lead the trips to Israel for our volunteer program, I took a one of our colleagues over, Nathan Montgomery, and he'd always have this big suitcase with him. And I'd say, what what are you doing with this big suitcase? And he goes, well, half of it is Dr. Pepper's because they don't have Dr. Pepper in Israel. And those were just for him. So he wasn't even, but we used to bring. He could have made a fortune. He could have made a fortune on it, especially if there were fruit roll-ups. But uh, we used to do the same thing. We'd bring over certain, oh, Splenda. They don't have Splenda. And the, um, the church we would serve with would go, can you bring us Splenda? <laughs> I mean, we'd have a litany of things people would be begging for. But uh, not fruit roll-ups. That's a new one now. Fruit roll-ups, $6 each in Israel. <laughs> you could be an enterprising person, which this couple was. They got stopped at the airport. Why, why would they even stop you? That's my question. I don't know. I guess it's, it just looks suspicious if you've got a, two suitcases full of fruit roll-ups. Steve, this is one that you gave me, and you underlined it, so I'll give it back to you No, here. you do it. Go ahead. Uh, but, um, well, I—, I you know it better than me, but the, this comes from Breitbart. It's uh, Christian teacher banned from profession after calling students girls in classrooms. That, this is from Breitbart, and it's a warning, Chris. It's a warning. Especially with uh, what we're talking about in being Revelation astonished, 17. Being astonished. It goes right back to that. 
Uh, the Teaching Regulation Authority, TRA, has ruled that Joshua Sutcliffe, 33, formerly of Truewell School at Oxford, should be banned from the teaching profession for failing to use so-called preferred pronouns of a girl student who identified as a boy, which they claimed amounted to not providing the pupil with dignity and respect. This does go to Revelation 17.7. Are you astonished? Yes, I am. I'm answering the text. Yes, I marvel. Should I be? No. Yeah. I shouldn't be. The, the culture is collapsing around us. We can see it happening. Christians should not marvel. Uh, which, by but the people way, people are speaking up too. I mean, think about Budweiser. I mean, and what happened with the Dylan Mulvaney situation. And now Target is on the chopping block. hundred percent. And you know, it coincides, Chris, with something that is already happening that hasn't really hit fully Western culture. This is taking place in the UK. This this teacher is being kicked out. But uh, the the Christianity Today ran. I can't see the date of it, but the fifty countries which are the most dangerous to follow Jesus in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. And Chris, so here we have persecution. This, this is a, per, a system taking away a man's livelihood because he called girls, who are girls, girls, and there was one who didn't want to be identified that way. And they're saying, you are removing their dignity. And was fired. And was and not just fired. He can't go to another. He's banned. Oh, yeah. He's banned. He can't teach the rest of his life. Here's 50 countries, Chris, that uh, Christianity Today says uh, these are dangerous because you align yourself with Christ. And I just want to align—this is—what happened in Great Britain is an indication of what's happening in some 50 countries that you can measure as being persecuted. I mean, so death. Listen to this. And can I, really quick, too, Revelation 17, 6, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So Here, here in Christianity Today, it says every day 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Hmm. I realize the tribulation is, is like no other time period. It is great persecution, millions upon millions of people dead. But we're living in a time where the the Spirit of God is here, the church is expanding, people are coming to Christ. And as a result of that, 13 Christians a day, 12 churches a day are attacked, according to this article. And here's what the—you uh, got to hear, hear this, Chris. The question is raised by the CEO of Open Doors USA. You might think the list is all about oppression, but the list is really about resilience. I think that's going to happen mm-hmm. in the tribulation. Yeah. People dying all over the place, but listening to those 144,000 and two witnesses who will preach the gospel. So David Curry, who's the president of CEO Open Door, said, the numbers of God's people who are suffering should mean the church is dying, that Christians are keeping quiet, losing their faith, and turning away from one another, he stated. But that's not what's happening. Instead, in living color, we see the words of God recorded by the prophet Isaiah, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, Isaiah uh, 43, verse 19. The listed nations contain 309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 260 million. And Chris, I'm no prophet, but 309 million? 
I think next year, if we were to do a study, it'll be higher than three hundred nine mm-hmm. million. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I remember one time I went to an event in New York City on uh, the what what they called uh, the other Jewish Holocaust that nobody talks about, which was the nearly million um, Jewish people in the in the Middle Eastern countries that were kicked out of Libya, Iran, systematically Iraq. They were kicked out because Israel had become a nation. And the reason you don't ever hear about them is because they were kicked out of their homes that they had lived in for thousands of years, but they found a new home in Israel, so they never became refugees. But all They that, assimilated into the Israeli culture. Isn't that's, that's a marvel. We could do a whole podcast We should do that. a podcast. It's very important, but the, 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 the beauty of that uh, meeting I went to was it had somebody who, an Iraqi Jew that was kicked out, his family was kicked out, he remembers the night they were kicked out, another one. And then they had a Christian, a Coptic Christian come on and talk about um, what it's like being a Christian in Egypt. And they said during their Sunday schools, they tell their kids, there could be a chance that you are martyred for your faith. Could you imagine taking your kid to Sunday school and that's what the teacher is teaching? But it's a reality about who they are as Christians and the world that they live in. But and, th- and the church is from growing. Going. Yeah, and the right. church is growing. Wow. So, all right, Steve, uh, let's go ahead and move to... Oh, Chris, this one we had to talk about quite a bit. The Yiddish word of the day, everybody. The Yiddish, Yiddish word, of, word day. of the day is nothing. 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 Bupkis. My well, wife, bupkis. My wife, it's nothing. My wife, again, the shiksa who I love so dearly, asked me the question yesterday, what is the Yiddish word for please? Please. What's the Yiddish word for please? And I immediately started to laugh. <laughs> I said, I don't think there is a word for please. Well, and then I said, after all, we're Jewish. I won't say please. I'll say, give me this. Yeah. Give me that. <laughs> Actually, uh, Yiddish speakers use the German word bitte. So that's going to be our word. But what's hilarious is my wife texted to you. Do you have your text? Uh, where there's a Yiddish site yep. that she's part of that that question came from. And they're people who answer. <laughs> I'll read some of them, okay? Uh, so this is the fact that somebody... Was it Alice who asked the question? No, the, the website. Oh, the, the, so, so somebody said, what's the Yiddish word for please? And these were some of the comments. The word exists, question mark? <laughs> uh, another one wrote, uh, "You, uh, you, um, who needs such a word? <laughs> who needs it? We don't use it? Uh, here's another. Let's see. Um, uh, let's see. Uh Oh, I think that's that's what she sent me. She said the German word though is bitte though. That's the look. More... We don't want to say Jewish people aren't polite. That's not what we're saying. But it is funny amongst the Yiddish speakers who Jewish people speak to Jewish people. They Yiddish isn't used amongst the Gentiles. So within the culture of Judaism of Jewish speaking people, <laughs> we don't. Please? Are you kidding me? We say, give me that. Yeah. <laughs> give me that. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't oh, if we if we're talking to a guy, okay, we'll say bitter. That's fine. That's a German word. But amongst ourselves, hey, you see that Coke over there? Give it to me. <laughs> no, please. No, please. <laughs> no Yiddish word for it. I was even le- learning when uh, when I had done a message on uh, the, the, the Jewish Thanksgiving from Leviticus chapter 7, and the word in Hebrew for thank you, in modern Hebrew, is todah, but it comes from Le- Leviticus 7 when you offer your todah offering, your Thanksgiving offering to the Lord. And so I was reading how they're 
there really was, there's no use of a personal back and forth use of thank you in the Bible. The you only see, one we thank is God. That's right. To you, you, you give me something, thanks. We don't, oh, no, we don't say thanks. We say, all right. There's no word. I've, and I try to run my, like, to go through in my brain of all the verses I've read, never have I read an, one person saying to another person, thank you. <laughs> in the <Bible>. It's hilarious. <laughs> it, you know, culture is interesting. And I think you brought out a great biblical point. We'll have to come back there. We'll have to ask a Hebrew scholar. Maybe we'll have Menno on and ask him about that. Toda, and uh, then get uh, Arlene Berg to tell us about Oh, we'll have no, our, <laughs> no Yiddish word for please. We'll have Arlene and Menno on at the same time. That'll be Unbelievable. fun. All right, everybody. That is the Jew and Gentile podcast. Hey, hey, Steve, we got to run to a meeting here coming uh, up in one minute. Okie doke. All right. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much for being a part of the program today. We really, really appreciate it. I want to encourage you to go to foiequip.org, and there you can sign up for my upcoming class uh, that we'll be doing tonight. It's actually my last one that we're going to be doing on Israel's... Ben Yehuda. That's right. Israel's leaders and its independence. Be there, FOI foiequip.org. Hey, we're so thankful for all of you who listen. Text us 424-444-1948. Hey, we'll see you next week.